January 1st, 1995. This morning, Christian found me by phone and asked me to help the guest in 312 bring his luggage downstairs. I hadn't seen this man at all, and when I arrived at his room, I knocked on the door, which was ajar. He didn't reply, but I heard him moving about and saw his shadow on the wall. I knocked again and slowly opened the door. His back was to me as he fastened a bag on his bed. I said hello, but it was only coincidence that he turned around to me then. As he started a bit when he saw me, he smiled. I realized then he was deaf, and was surprised I hadn't been told we had a hearing-impaired guest. I wondered how it is for someone to travel abroad and not have any use for a telephone, and especially to stay in our hotel for men. How is one's cruising ability affected? It could be one hell of a conversation piece, only... Yeah. He seemed the gentlest of men, a perception probably spurred on by his muteness, but also his appearance. He was just past forty, maybe five-eight or nine, with a receding line of sandy, wispy hair, a matching mustache, and glasses. He was enough like Walter Mitty in appearance alone to warrant a kind of trust. But that he was also deaf inspired a maternal instinct on my part. It's silly, I know. But there it was, complete with the urge to tilt my head slightly to one side and say, Ah. This well-meant but unfounded bit of condescension was suppressed and I got to the work at hand. He wouldn't have heard me anyway, but that would have been the easiest lip-read of his life. And, of course, would have insulted him. He gestured that I take the carry-on bag and the two suitcases that were strapped to a rolling stand. Around his neck was a 35-millimeter camera, and in his hands were two full shopping bags. We closed up the room and headed down the hall. He certainly got a different treatment from me than does the average guest. I was already rooting for this guy from the get-go, understand, the way you do for some people, even the ones you haven't met yet. They pass you on the street, and there's a quality in them that makes you want to tell them, now, you be careful out there, huh? Man, wear a scarf. Don't walk down that alley alone. Take care of yourself. I was impressed enough to see this man out here, away from such gadgets as closed-captioned TV or phones with a computer interface. I don't come across many people who cannot hear, but... Wait, how do I know that? For all I know, every person with whom I ride on a bus or a metro or see in a store who I don't actually see engaged in verbal conversation or reacting to some noise could be entirely deaf. For this man, my typical game plan was useless. Three flights of stairs to the lobby with heavy baggage in each arm makes for slow going, and normally I can rely on small talk to ease the awkwardness. 
So much is taken care of in our use of spoken language and communicated by a cheerful, if mindless, humming, or by our tone of voice. But as I walked ahead of him, there was nothing but the sound of our labored breathing and shuffling along. My instinct is always to communicate to the guest, the potential tipper, that I am happy to carry his luggage for him, that I sure hope he enjoyed his stay, and darn it all that he is liked. But no standard trickery, the talk about the weather, the zippy humming of a happy ditty, was at my disposal. I tried to compensate for this with a heightened bounce in my step, which is no mean feat when weighed down with sixty pounds of Samsonite. I made a point of turning to make eye contact and smiling, as if to say, you still with me? And you know that smiling and making eye contact are not something I'm real comfortable with at work. Geez, when he stumbled on the stairs as we reached the second-floor landing, you should have seen me carry on, gesturing madly and exaggerating my facial expressions in my own attempt to ease any embarrassment he might have felt. I was the inn's own apologetic mime. We did reach the lobby safely, and I normally drop the bags off near the door and then leave the guest to wait for his taxi or bring his car up to the door. I wait around the corner, pretending to read a map on the wall or to dust a countertop. I don't like for it to seem as though I expect a tip. I do expect a tip, but I find it distasteful to stand around with one's hand out. But in this case, I did stay nearby, still in the lobby, in case I was further needed. Maybe I had visions of Christian explaining something to him and not making sense, because his French accent doesn't translate well to the lip-reader. Hell, I don't always get what the guy is saying, and I can hear him fine. What I didn't expect was to have to take his bags out to his car. Once in the lobby, I generally consider my job as a mule complete, unless, as here, I am asked to take the luggage further. I didn't know you could drive if you couldn't hear, say, a police siren or another car's horn. In fact, I doubt you're allowed to, but here we were at his car with South Carolina plates covered with six inches of snow. He opened his trunk, and I helped him place the cases and carry-on inside. There was still a light snow falling, and I was getting cold in my T-shirt. He closed the trunk and took the camera from around his neck, placing it in my hands. Briefly, very briefly, I imagined this was my tip. A 35-millimeter Pentax for services rendered above the call of duty. It sounded fair to me. But he made it known he just wanted his picture taken by me. I backed away, and he stood beside his car, standing very still, how well we are all trained to do this, and smiling sweetly. I took a shot and nodded to indicate I was done, but he gestured that I should take a vertical shot, holding the camera sideways. I replied enthusiastically, laughing even as he picked up a handful of snow from the car roof and held it up to the camera. The old show-the-folks-back-home-what-a-real-winter-is-like shot. A timeless classic. The spirit of it all was infectious, and I giggled as I thought of my bit part in this odd little tale of a deaf gay man from sunny South Carolina bringing home photos of honest-to-goodness snow from a Christmas spent in Canada. I gave him back the Pentax, and he tipped me two dollars. I looked him head on and said, Happy New Year, in as a phonetically correct fashion as I could, and I ran back to the hotel. 
As I dusted off the snow, I turned to see as two teenaged girls from the youth hostel next door approached him, their own cameras in hand. I nearly ran out to explain to them, but of course there was no need for that. So I watched as he told them without speaking, and how their body language changed, and their own mime skills were awakened. He took their photos, and also took their direction. He nearly had to lie down in the street to accommodate their wish to have both them and the hostel's big red letters in one shot. Soon they were done and went away, and I went back to work. The thought still comes to me, though. How many photos exist in other parts of the world where snow is a treasure, a part of a story told to disbelieving youngsters as incomprehensible as moon rocks and pixie dust? Do they feature the same expressions of glee as I saw today, as I wore? I hope his drive back to Piedmont I checked his registration card. It was a safe one. Pretty much. Episode 10, On Deaf Ears. Written and read by Scott Clarkson. Music by Garner Firebird. <laughs>